Welcome fellow entrepreneurs to the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast, where we talk about Amazon Wholesale and how you can use it to build an e-commerce empire, a side hustle, or anything in between. And now, your host, Todd Welch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Adventure, and we've got a good one for you today. Today, we dive in with my Amazon guy, the owner and founder, Stephen Pope. He's a top Amazon thought leader and visionary out there, and he's been doing everything all encompassing with Amazon for quite a long time. So he, my Amazon guy is an Amazon consulting agency. So they do everything from brand registry to A plus content to optimizing listings to PPC and getting more sales. So today we dive into what we can do as wholesalers to optimize listings, grow sales and talk with brands. What are brands looking for to have us do to get that exclusive agreement perhaps, or maybe just an exclusive discount or just more sales for us on a listing? What kind of things we can do? This is something that I've really gotten into as of late is to finding low hanging fruit listings that have good reviews, low sales, really bad listings, and I can optimize them grow that traffic, get all those sales to myself for quite a while and maybe work that into an exclusive agreement. So we really dive into that today with Steven who has a lot of knowledge in this area and you can really tell it comes across throughout the episode. You know, we also meander into some of the political things surrounding Amazon as well. So I really think you'll like that also. So definitely stay tuned for this one. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe and like us on YouTube and leave us a five-star review out there if you really think you are getting some value from the podcast, it would really be helpful. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this episode with Stephen. All right, so today I have Stephen Pope on the podcast. He is the founder of My Amazon Guy, which is a full-service Amazon consulting uh, company, and he has been doing this for quite a while, so Appreciate you coming on the podcast, Stephen. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your company and your background, how you got into this crazy Amazon stuff? Yeah, thanks for having me, Todd. I appreciate it. Um, so I actually started my career out as a television reporter and I love being a reporter, but hated working in the news industry. And, you know, one night I was doing a live weather hit in Wisconsin in the biggest blizzard in a decade and uh, missed my cue. My hair froze over. I looked like an idiot on state television and decided, you know what, I'd rather be at home in my pajamas instead of out here in this cold, cold weather. Uh, so I, I looked for a way to kind of change up my career. And I, I think a lot of your listeners will aspire uh, on that vein, trying to take more control over their, their career and monetary destiny, if you will. Um, so I, I went back to school, picked up an MBA, and I've been doing marketing ever since, uh, and specifically e-commerce. And Worked for five failed startups on the corporate side and then one day got laid off again and I was like, screw this, I'm, I'm tired of job hopping around the country. And I went into business for myself and created my Amazon guy. So today we're 100 uh, strong monthly clients plus a bunch of project-based clients in full service. We help everyone uh, manage their traffic and improve their conversion rates on Amazon. So that's awesome. So you guys are doing like everything pretty much involved with building an Amazon business. And 
Uh, before we dive into that, though, I wanted to touch on a couple other things on your background, which are cool. What, what's interesting is that you actually moved, went from Utah to Wisconsin, and I moved from Wisconsin to Utah. Now you're in uh, Georgia, I believe you said. So jumping around, but it's pretty awesome that you were a nationally ranked chess player, and then also you beat out Harvard in debating? I did. I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, if uh, you haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, <laughs> so it was, a, it was fun, uh, fun back in high school and college days. Uh, so I did debate and chess all the way up through, uh, you know, the college level. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as you mentioned, I, I beat Harvard's B team one time in a national tournament uh, and uh, did it on a cheap shot. Was doing policy debate. They forgot to read their plan text, and so that's how I that's how I won. So nothing like the great debaters movie by any stretch. There wasn't an audience or anything like that. But uh, I, I I that's my claim to fame on that front. So it was fun uh, on the chess front. I actually played in the U.S. Open uh, during a hurricane in Florida, and we're entering the hurricane season now. And uh, uh, that was that was a fun time as well. Uh, being able to think ahead has definitely been a skill set uh, I can recommend to anybody when trying to sell on Amazon. Always trying to figure out where that puck's going to be in hockey, if you will. Yep. Not where the puck is today, because if you're not in that scoring location, that's, you're going you're gonna to miss uh, very much. But if I had to go back to college and redo it, let me tell you, instead of trying to learn how to debate and win an argument, I would go back and try and learn how to persuade Mm -hmm. uh, I do not find myself to be a persuasive individual and in business, that's all I need right now is to persuade people to send their business my way. And it's a much more needed skill in my opinion. Well, you have three little kids, so you've got to be getting really good <laughs> at persuading. <laughs> three kids under five. It's a handful. Uh, I've got, got a picture of my family right here. I'll bring it on screen for a second for those that are watching the video. And yep, as you can awesome. see, we're in a little hammock there. Uh, they are quite the pocket of joy. Yeah, so you're getting sales training like every single day. They're selling you and you have to sell them pretty much. That's what parenting is, right? No, you can't have an eighth popsicle and no, you can't watch eight hours of television every day. <laughs> yeah, for sure, 100%. So one last question on the chess side though. Do you think you could beat Deep Blue? Definitely not. Maybe if, no. maybe if it was pre-2007, I might have a shot. Uh, but not, not, not since, uh, since that thing is just the, the tech has outdone humans on this by a long shot. Yep. Yep. I'm a computer geek myself. So that kind of stuff really interests me. If you're not familiar with deep blue, that is the AI that IBM has programmed to do chess and they've beaten like world champions and stuff. So it's pretty amazing. The, the best I could probably do is beat somebody ranked USCF 2200, probably no better than that. Cool. And those computers are operating upwards of 3,300 to 3,600. So not a chance. Yeah. Chess is cool. I don't, I'm, I'm definitely no master at it or anything, but it's a fun game to play for sure. And you learn, like you said, how to think ahead, which is so important in life and business to skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it currently is, as you mentioned. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into the Amazon stuff here. So we talked a little bit before we got started here that uh, a really good area that our listeners who are in the wholesale world to really go into would be to developing relationships with these brands because you work with a lot of brands. So you got a lot of insight in what they're looking for, what they need, what they're trying to do with their Amazon businesses. So 
where do we start with that? Like, let's say that we're going to be calling a brand. We found some that we potentially want to sell. We think we can really help them sell better. What kind of things should we be looking at when we go into that conversation? couple paths I think you can take. Number one is you can niche yourself and be the best in one space and go after every related brand in that space. I did that strategy at a company called Lights Online. So I was their marketplace director. We had our own private label brand, but we also were purchasing from all of the other national um, lighting brands. And these are household names in some parts of the country, such as Kitchler Lighting, uh, Quazelle, and uh, many others that are, are well known. Uh, and basically, uh, we were you know, going to the lighting shows and trying to win their Amazon business. That was my main job. So every six months, I was going in and making pleas in some instances and pitches in others where, you know, hey, don't take Amazon in-house. Hey, don't give too many FBA partnerships away and give me your exclusive deal. And, and if you do, uh, we will make your sales better and here's how and we'll improve your listings. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that today. The, the other avenue you could go down would be to uh, just be a generalist and sell whatever. doesn't matter what it is. You're, you're a general store and just hit the beat and talk to shotgun approach it and talk to as many different brands as you possibly can under the sun and, and just get a giant catalog. So I think both strategies are viable even today, um, but each has its own benefits and disadvantages. Yeah, I on my side, I am definitely a proponent of the niche part of it. As I've mentioned before, I'm in sporting goods area. So I think it makes it easier because you learn the industry. Maybe it's something that you've done in the past or enjoy doing and you can really deep dive on the phone and talk their lingo, so to speak, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with the shotgun approach, but I feel like it can get easier over time if you're niching into something and really learning that area. There's, there's some real big value there because if you think about it, like let's say I'm going to sell glassware and glassware is you know, prone to damages. So the disadvantage of my industry could become my advantage if I solve that problem. So I, I happen to be the number one uh, seller on Amazon for funny wine glasses. And one of my products uh, is at the top of Amazon. And uh, I side hustle that. It's a brand called Momster. is just a way to um, try new things and teach my clients and whatnot. So barely spend much time on it. But I don't have a lot of fear of somebody else coming in and selling glassware because there are so many problems that I've ran into that I've learned how to cope with and solve. I don't expect my competitors to figure them out anytime soon. And so I'm sure that's the same in the sports industry as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's just so many little things that you can go into and talk to. So that brand that you built, how, many, how much in sales is that doing, if you don't mind sharing? You bet. It's a, it's a million dollar brand. Uh, I was going to shoot for like 500K in December, but I think it's going to be more like 300K just because FBA has run out of room. Mm -hmm. And they put all these limitations on. And uh, so that August deadline in about a, uh, you know, middle of August here where they're, if you're not at 500 IPI, uh, good luck, you're, you're getting limitations. And so 
Um, and, and, and there's kind of a two prong problem. So I was at 487 on my IPI and I couldn't flip the 13 points quick enough. Uh, I'm sure many of you are in the same boat listening to this. Don't fret. You've got plenty of room to work with unless you've got a seasonal item. And so, uh, the second prong, so, so, so there's two problems with that. Number one, the amount of inventory you can ship in is limited to a three month supply. So a seasonal item that spikes more than 300% in a 30 day window, you're going to stock out guaranteed. So are your competitors though. And number two, the overall space that you can allocate at Amazon. So both of those problems are, are going to probably make it for more like a, a softer Christmas for me and many others, but uh, you know what? Everybody is in the same boat. So, you know, what I would say to that is make sure you have your own 3PL warehouse set up so you can sell direct to consumer because you're not going to be able to rely upon FBA in the middle of December. I just don't think it's possible. Yeah. And I think uh, a really big thing there too that you can do is utilize a 3PL that is uh, seller fulfilled prime enabled basically. So I think a couple of them are like ShipBob and ShipMonk. Uh, both of them, I believe, have warehouses dispersed enough that they can get seller fulfilled prime for a majority of the country. So that's always an option too, if you have a product that sells really well like that. Except it's super expensive. Yeah. And that's been the challenge, right? So hopefully they've got at least three locations, but even if they do have uh, you know, the West, East, and somewhere in the middle figured out, it's still pretty cost prohibitive. Not many items are SFP solvent from my experience, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah it's definitely going to be more expensive. Amazon has that distribution down to a T and it's, you know, people complain about the fees and stuff, but it's super cheap for what we get in my opinion. They're half the economy. You got to hand it to Jeff Bezos. That dude figured something out. Your margin's my opportunity. They're clearly a monopoly and I hope the government does something about it, even though that'll probably hurt my business. Uh, it's the right thing to do. Uh, but in the meantime, take advantage of it. If you're not on Amazon today, you're irrelevant uh, as a business, in my opinion. And all these retailers that are going bankrupt due to COVID, it's on them. They should have been morphing their business years ago. Yeah. You know, when it comes to government, I always err on the side of stay out of the way. But, uh, you know, it's going to happen, I think. And if we can put ourselves in a position to take advantage of it, because I think what's going to happen is Amazon is going to start pulling out of a lot of products. They're going to start relying more on third-party sellers. But the unintended consequences of that is that they're going to rely on the established sellers more and give more priority to established companies that they can trust and know that they're doing the right thing. Um, that's my opinion, the way I, I kind of see it going, because if Amazon can be like, okay, you know, it's their platform, they just pay us to use it. I think they make more money doing that anyways, and it's a lot easier for them. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't, I don't see Amazon giving up the 70% of the battery market or whatever number it is they own anytime soon um, or many of their other basics that have done quite well. But I, I do agree with you. If, if they clamp down on any of the monopolization, that would be the first area to do it is like, look, you can't own both private label brands and be a marketplace. It's just uncompetitive advantage. Um, but what I, what I would say is, uh, Amazon's absolutely entered the maturity phase as, as a product life cycle. So you got your early entrance and then you, you end up getting to the maturity cycle. And what does that mean for us as sellers? It means it's never been harder 
to sell on Amazon than it, than it is today. Um, mind you, sales are through the roof, right? Like Amazon released its numbers in May and I think it was like 43% up year over year. And, I, and I'm on record saying, I think December is going to be like 100% up year over year. COVID 2.0 is going to hit and we're going to see supply chains clash down. Every, all your competitors are going to stock out this year. So just be prepared for massive, massive sales this Q4, in my opinion. But that maturity cycle that Amazon's in right now has a lot of consequences and it means they're putting barriers up. So uh, every day you're going to be dealing with challenges like listing yanks, account suspensions, gatings that just come out of nowhere. On Thursday, for example, I had five different clients that got gated because they created a new subcategory in Amazon and all of a sudden you got to run around with your head cut off trying to figure out, okay, how do we clear this gating? And then you clear the gating and then you still have you know, 20% of your portfolio is still in stranded and you're, you're running around trying to, figure, okay, how do I fix the stranded? And then you learn, okay, I got to actually delete my products, re-add them to my catalog. This is the kind of troubleshooting that all sellers have to deal with when selling on Amazon. So if, if you're listening to this and you haven't dived into this yet and you're not good at solving problems or troubleshooting, don't do it. This is not passive income. <laughs> but if you like solving problems and you're good at it and you're better at it than your neighbor, you're going to make a killing. Amazon is great for those that can get around these, you know, matriculated problems. Yeah, I agree hundred percent on that. It's very, a lot of technical little things. I mean, I've got uh, three or four products right now that are tied up due to whatever, you know, they got suspended for whatever reason. And you got to, it's so annoying dealing with seller support sometimes, right? Because they just copy and paste some script back to you and it has nothing to do with what you're asking them or whatever. And so you just got to push through that stuff and, and keep figuring it out. People ask me all the time, like, what's your secret sauce? Why is your agency successful? And I, and I look them in the eye and I'm like, do you see a picture of me shaking hands with Jeff Bezos on my website? And they say, no. And I'm like, that's because I'm at my house and I'm brute forcing accounts all day long. There is no secret sauce, guys. You literally just have to grind it. And, and a lot of people don't like that answer. They really don't. But that's why I'm in business is because Amazon's made it so hard to sell uh, that experts who figure out how to hack the system, and it's not hacking, it's just brute force, do well. Uh, so those products that you are struggling with will probably be down for a week or two at a time and that hurts your sales rank and it's like, how do you recover that and how do you fix the sales and uh, then your ads go down and it's like, oh man. So it's just like a never ending circus of, of uh, putting your fingers in the dike trying to keep the water from coming through and the water is definitely going to come through. There's no question about it. It's just like, which one do you plug today? <laughs> yeah. The good thing in wholesale is that, you know, it, the item is usually never really out of stock, right? So we're losing money because we're not selling. Uh, for example, one that really drives me crazy is uh, Amazon has taken it down a few times now uh, because they're like, okay, we're getting these returns. So there's something wrong. They take my listing down. Amazon themselves is still selling the product and so is a couple other wholesale people that are on there as well. So that kind of stuff is really frustrating sometimes. You're selling a new product sold as used because the customers return this at 8% NCX rate mm -hmm. and they just wanted their free return and that's why they marked it as used, right? So stupid. Um, yeah. It's such a customer-centric platform. One of my other favorite stupid ones is uh, pesticides gating, right? Like I've had to pass the pesticides gating test 54 times for my clients. 
<laughs> out of those 54 clients, not a single one of them sells pesticides. Yep. So the keywords that get gated for no reason ever. So we ended up putting a video out with the entire answer key. So if anybody listening to this ends up getting gated for pesticides, just type into Google right now, pesticides, my Amazon guy, you'll find my video full answer key, feel free, hit it up. I, I like solving problems like that and giving, giving it to the Amazon community just to sh shove a finger up uh, Amazon in some of their stupid practices that make no logical sense. And uh, it, it just causes such heartache for a lot of people. Yeah, and we were talking about the, um, the monopoly of Amazon. That would be one question I'd have for Jeff. So you're taking my listing down because of returns. Do you take Amazon's listings down because of returns? Oh, I, I guarantee doubt they it. don't. I guarantee they don't. They, they might submit a ticket or a phone call over to their FBA center and check on things. Yeah, everything looks good, Jeff. Yeah, we'll keep selling. No yep. problem. Yeah, they don't take their listings down for a week or two while they try to figure stuff out. Yeah, the left hand doesn't talk to the right hand at Amazon. Uh, nobody has control. Nobody knows what's going on. Uh, this whole thing is just kind of an automated beast running itself at this stage, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I was going with uh, Amazon letting third-party sellers do more work. Not so much that they're going to stop selling their private label products because those are selling really well, some of them. But like the third-party brands that they sell, I think they may pull back on that a little bit instead of bringing more products in themselves, let third-party sellers bring more in. Maybe it's wishful thinking because that would really benefit us as wholesale sellers, but we'll see. I, I think it is wishful thinking, but I also think it's the number one area that their pants were caught down when Jeff went on in front of Congress the other day and he got called out on that. He's like, so... Uh, I think the quote that went around international headlines was like, he couldn't guarantee that somebody hasn't taken advantage of proprietary data from third-party sellers. Like that was like the phrasing he used, which means code for, yeah, we abuse the hell out of it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's been some interesting news. Something's going to happen. That's for sure. We'll see what, I mean, I think what's happening in Europe is probably a precursor to here where they're clamping down on a lot of that, you know, anti-competitive practices that Amazon is doing. Uh, but like I said, there's always unintended side effects whenever ever government does anything. So we got to always keep that in mind and weigh the benefits and the negatives. I'm a free market capitalist, just like you. Uh, but in some situations where big business gets into bed with big government, problems happen. Well, that's the problem, right? We haven't had a free market in this country for like over 100 years, I would argue. You know, it's been a lot more socialist in terms of government being in everything and, and big business being in bed with government. You know, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I would, I would love to see us get back on the gold standard, get off this fiat currency, this hidden 20% inflation this year, the government just prints money and, oh yeah, that'll fix the economy. Yeah, it will for like six months. Uh, and then the next 10 years, we're going to be in an utter depression. Uh, so uh, buckle up, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling the uh, a downward economy. Now, here's the good news. Selling on Amazon's never been better. And that's the one sector I think will be just fine. Um, so if you're in another sector, like I was in television, that place is definitely not coming back. <laughs> that place is toast. Uh, but selling in e-commerce and online couldn't be a better place. Yeah, definitely. It's just going to keep growing, you know, especially with the coronavirus and 
now the uh, riots and stuff going on in different cities and it's just making people want to shop online more. So yeah, Amazon is definitely a place to be in the future. E-commerce in general, right? But Amazon's the, the gorilla in the room, so to speak. I think there is one partner out there that will take the gorilla down a notch, not enough, but a notch is probably Walmart. Haven't seen it in 2020. Um, and I was making this call four years ago when they bought Jet or whatever. They never did anything with Jet. They couldn't integrate it. Like their old POS systems, uh, point of systems, in fact, uh, at the Walmart facilities and stores and whatnot, they couldn't touch Jet and couldn't use it. You know, I would have thought that, okay, you got a Walmart on every corner, right? Cool. That becomes the FBA facility. Nah, unfortunately, they couldn't figure it out. So, um, should you sell on Walmart today? I would if I were you, but I wouldn't be banking on making the dollar in 2020 with it. It's more of a preparatory be there so that when they do take Amazon down a notch, you're not screwed when Amazon suspends your account and you got Walmart ready to go. Yeah, for sure. Now, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, uh, we were talking about the news that Walmart is coming out with fulfilled by Walmart. So the they delayed it though. Like but yeah, they, that's what I was going to say. They keep pushing it back. So we'll see. I, they don't, they don't know what's going on. Uh, I don't know if it's, they're getting like teased from other companies that are saying, Hey, just let us do it. We'll take care of it for you. Whether it's deliver or whatever. Um, or if they just literally can't integrate the tech, which has seemingly been the case for five years. Who knows? Yeah, you would think, I mean, but it, it's hard to shift, right? Because Amazon was built as a technology company. Walmart was built it. as a brick and mortar company and it's completely different business models. So trying to integrate the two is not always easy. I, I've tried to take companies from uh, wholesale to retail. What do I mean by that? Uh, so it's like the difference between running a Costco where it's nice, neat pallets and clean aisles and then trying to turn a Costco into a Kroger where it's clean up on aisle seven constantly, right? Like businesses really structurally speaking, fail to innovate. They like to get bigger and they're really good at getting bigger. They're awful at evolving. That's why innovation comes in and you see like an upstart like Netflix take out Blockbuster and, and that's what happens in, in, a, in a good economy is, is people have an idea they go try and sell that idea and the current infrastructure is like, well, I like the current infrastructure and you know, it would cost too much for us to change the current infrastructure. So then new business comes out with their new idea, beat the crap out of everybody and then they are the power horse. And this cycle will again repeat itself repeatedly throughout all of history and that's why we see uh, technology companies doing really well um, and they build really fast. Yeah, same thing like with Sears and Toys R Us, you know, both Another good example. Empires in the past and now they're bankrupt. So my wife would always talk to me about how she got the Sears catalog and it was the only way to order anything in the rural communities. Innovative. At the time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. They didn't take advantage of that. And they're gone. So <laughs> Yeah. Businesses definitely come and go. So somebody will compete with Amazon. It might take time, but that's why it's bad, you know, in my opinion, when government gets too involved with businesses because for every regulation that you put on Amazon, it makes it harder for that guy in his garage to build the next Amazon because now they have to deal with that regulation as well. I, I, I think you're spot on with that. Um, and I also think that if, if we don't allow for companies to fail, then the too big to fail process creates the next big depression as well. 
Yep. And so uh, I, I hope we see a lot of failing businesses this year. Uh, that might be harsh for me to, you know, to hear, especially for those that lost a job or were impacted by the situation. But if we don't allow your company to fail today, it's going to fail the country over the next few years in many, many ways. Um, so there's more damage that will be done if we don't let companies fail. Yeah, it, it's definitely super destructive because when, when there's a vacuum and a big company fails, it's going to hurt in the beginning, but there's going to be other businesses that come in to take that place. And so who knows what we lost, for example, by bailing out GM and Chrysler and such, you know. Maybe Tesla would have done even better if we yeah. hadn't bailed out GM. You never know. Um, but all right, so let's uh, stop going down the political rabbit hole. I love politics. <laughs> I can get sucked into that really easily. So let's get back to... We're two peas uh, in that pod. So that was, that was easy to go down. Yeah, for sure. So let's get back to the Amazon world. We talked a little bit about, you know, opening the accounts and stuff like that. What other kind of things can we offer a brand to get them to maybe give us the exclusive or just to let us sell their product? Every business ever needs three things to run. Finance, operations, and marketing. And if you want to do business today, you need to be good at all three, but you need to be excellent at one of those. Most wholesalers are excellent at operations. So when you go to these wholesalers, don't convince them that your operations are great. They won't care. But if you said, hey, I've got the best marketing in the world. I can build you the best A plus content you've ever heard of. What's A plus content you say? Right? So like these wholesalers probably, you know, the sophisticated ones get it and they know, but the unsophisticated ones don't even know that their trademark needs to be letter for letter exact match to their brand name on Amazon and, you know, the chain effect that that could cause, right? Oh, oh hey, we've wanted to have a brand store on Amazon for ages, but our trademarks in all caps and my uh, brand name is represented on Amazon in proper case, right? Small things like that. If you could bring to the table and it's like, hey, I've got the solution and I'll tell you in 30 seconds on the phone just to have a call with you. Just get me on the phone. And if you, can, if you can share value to these guys and tell them things that maybe their current partners aren't willing to do or aren't willing to teach or maybe they don't even know, uh, you're going to be able to win them over. I think it's critical to, to add value before you request value. And that's a good concept to live by in business and in life in general, in my opinion. Uh, so that's also why like as an agency at my Amazon guy, we share literally all of our trade secrets with the public. You can find over 400 videos from us answering any problem or any question. We have, we have videos of our designers and teaching how to make A plus content, right? Like I give away everything. Uh, we have videos demonstrating a three phase SEO, uh, project. So if you want to go take my videos and, and replicate them and then go to these wholesalers and saying, look, I've got a three phase SEO plan to give you the best traffic to your listings ever, by all means, feel free do it guys. Uh, I have at it. Uh, and what, what is that three phase SEO strategy? It's number one, apply all the best practices to the back end of the listings and the front end. So in the search term field, for one example, don't have any commas, don't have uh, any repeated words, don't use the plural and the singular of the same word. Uh, you want to maximize that content as much as possible. Have misspellings in the search term field. Have a couple of Spanish words in there as well. If you do those best practices, 
use that 400 uh, use that full 250 character count on the back end of the search term for each product and make them unique, you're going to win a lot of SEO traffic. And what's great about SEO traffic is you don't pay for it. You earn it. And, and so instead of going to those brands and saying, Hey, I'll spend 10% of my gross sales on ads for you, which I think you should do that too, but it's harder to swallow that pill from the margin standpoint. You can instead go to them and say, I'll make sure more people see your product and I'll reveal those traffic numbers to you over time. So phase one, do the best practices. Phase two, I like to call the pink word update. And that's where you go in and you remove any words that are in the title or in the bullet points of your listing. Um, those are additional keywords that you can remove and, and put in different ones to get additional value. In phase one, we will keep those words in because we found through testing, it's the best way to do it. And then in phase two, we'll then, you know, 30 days out, remove them and make some additional plays. And finally, phase three, I like to call the strike zone update. This is where you go for any keyword in the ranks 20 through 50. And there's going to be hundreds of those for each listing. And you go in there and you pick a few that you think are high impression that are in rank 20 through 50 that aren't producing today and try and move them up into slot one through 19. And you redo all of your search terms, your A plus content, your title and your bullets to focus on those keywords. So whether it's an SEO plan or an A plus delivery or a brand store build or man, your bullet points suck and I'll at least bring them into the 19th century, whatever it is, add value to those brands. And I guarantee you, they will in return give you exclusive deals. The challenge is how do you convince them that you will actually deliver on what 100 other sellers have already pledged to do for those wholesalers. And so you got to add value before they even allow you in. And that's, that's why you got to go with a plan and you got to give, give them something before they are even going to listen to you, in my opinion. Yeah, a, a lot of brands are going to have multiple products. So like one tactic that I do a lot is I will take one of their products, order it, and then optimize that listing and double, triple, quadruple sales. A lot of times it's really easy, especially if you're looking at the more lower hanging fruit, you know, maybe 100,000 sales ranked, 150,000. But it's that bad because the listing is really horrible. Like maybe the picture is all blurry. Yep. So you take a new picture and you put some bullet points in there, a nice title, the keywords, like you mentioned, and you can pretty easily double, triple, quadruple those sales very quickly by doing that stuff. What, what do you mean? I can't go to Amazon and load my 400 by 400 pixel photo and just make millions? Yeah. It's crazy how many of those are out there. And uh, yeah, it's just... It, we, I mean, we've seen that in the last three years, photos on Amazon have come a long, long way. Um, manufacturers finally get it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they've acted on the getting it part. Um, so let's say you get a, a, a wholesaler that only has a single photo and it's 400 by 400 pixels. Go out and offer them, I'll, I'll redo all your photography. Cool, go, go hire pictures on white photography out of Chicago, 40 bucks a photo, and they'll take care of it for you. And that's, if that's all it takes is three or four nice photos, a couple hundred dollars to invest in that relationship. And then you've made their day. It yep. makes a difference. Add value. Yeah. I just have, I have a photo booth in the back here, you know, a nice light box that I bought on Amazon. And I use my phone camera from, you know, the S10, which is one of the best cameras on a phone out there. Take the photos and then pay someone on Fiverr to clean them up, remove the background and everything. And that's worked wonders for getting listings going really good. 
I, I think that's a great way to do it. Um, I think you're more sophisticated than most and many probably don't even know how to snap a correct photo. Uh, and, and what if it's a complicated product? Like what if it's a glass product, for example, sure. speaking from personal experience, the reflections on glass, if you haven't, if you're not a photographer today, and maybe even if you are a photographer, but you don't have experience shooting a particular type of product, you're probably not the right photographer for that type of product. Like if you're going to shoot lighting chandeliers, it's a totally different ball game than shooting a t-shirt or a wedding, whatever. Like uh, the, ref the refraction, I think it's the technical term and the color tones and all of that stuff is very, very difficult to get correct. Nonetheless, if you're taking uh, a brand from terrible to good, you're still doing them a favor, right? Yep. My default marketing philosophy is something is better than nothing. And you always are going to be continually optimizing. Amazon's an iterative platform. And if you continually optimize, you'll continually improve sales. Uh, and if you don't, your competitors will eventually beat you. So you have to. But if you're going from nothing to something, that's still a pretty big win. Yeah. And something to keep in mind too with that is that if you're looking at a listing and it's garbage and you look at the other brand listings from that brand and they're also garbage, keep that in mind that when you're calling them and talking to them, that they are probably not going to have any clue what you're talking about if you mention anything to do with Amazon. A plus content, bullet points, title, they might not even know what any of that stuff means. There's so many brands that pay no attention to Amazon at all. And those are the ones that I really look for because I know how much value very easily I can bring them and improve their listing. I'm really surprised by how clueless people are about Amazon today. Now, I think, I think the secret's out that it matters and it's half the economy. Like, I think people get that, but they're so overwhelmed from doing what they're currently doing and their current business model that they just can't take on any additional sophistication, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, going back to that comment I made about everybody wants to get bigger, but nobody wants to evolve. It's, it's really challenging. Like, and, and in today's day and age, you, you know, just as a small example, look at any product ever. The product life cycle before Amazon would have been like five years, right? You, you could go to market and be good for five years on a product. The product life cycle today is sub one year on Amazon. If you come out with the coolest, most innovative product today, by next Christmas, they are going to knock you off from 17 different competitor angles and you're just going to be a me too product by that stage if you don't have intellectual property. So you really have to keep evolving and be innovative and keep adding products nonstop. Fastest way to grow sales on Amazon, add more product. <laughs> and after that, diversify, be on more platforms, sell in more countries and spend more money on traffic and advertising. And, in, and then following all of that, it work on conversion improvements. But I do think conversion improvements are the hardest to do and take the most effort. If you don't have eyeballs to begin with, it's irrelevant though. And that's why I focus on traffic first. Yep. Yeah, very much so. The, the listings that I'm working on, you know, when I'm going through a product list from a distributor or a brand or something like that, I'm really looking for those ones that maybe have 20, 30, 40 reviews and like four stars, five stars, but it's maybe a hundred or 200 or 300,000 sales rank. And maybe there's no FBA seller. And so I can very easily jump on there and prove that listing and get it selling. Uh, so that is really what I'm looking for. And there's a lot of that out there. You know, people like to talk about, is Amazon too saturated? 
But I mean, if you spend some time searching and go down to like the 10th page, there's so many products that are underrepresented and could be doing a lot better than that they are. Sometimes very recognizable brands even. If you try and go to market and do a copy me too product of a top 100 selling product, yeah, it's super saturated. Don't do that. That's not what you're, like your, your secret sauce here that you're revealing to your audience is the right methodology. It really is. I could totally endorse it. Because if you go deeper into the niche where nobody is paying attention, it's much easier to be the only seller and the only guy doing it. Because even if you do an okay job, get a B minus on the test, so to speak, you're still going to make profit. Whereas if you try and go replicate the guys getting A's on million dollar products, you're competing with the most sophisticated players in the market. Instead of being the one grain, uh, Wayne Gretzky hockey player uh, rain making, you're going to be one guy in the NBA on the wrong team competing against whatever hot five all-star team there is, right? Like you, you really got to think about where you're going to niche and, and hone in and tailor focus. And I think, I think you're onto something with, with going down to the couple hundred thousand ranking. Yeah. And you can grow them to those big players. Like I have one brand and you have to have something that separates you. Like with them, they reached out to me because I had reached out to them previously and they said, no, we don't want any Amazon sellers, but I stayed. Which everyone ever gets that answer, right? Like that's hundred yep. percent of the time you get that answer. Everybody. But I knew that I could bring value to them. And after, I think it was about six months, they reached out to me and said, okay, we are sick and tired of dealing with Amazon. We want you to just take this over and we'll, you'll be the only person who can buy from us. Everybody else has to buy from distributors. So they didn't give me an exclusive, which would have been really nice, but they had established customers that they didn't want to cut out. Um, so I'm the only one with direct brand uh, buying. So I got a really good price on it. But I basically took all of their listings. They had a bunch of listings uh, spread all over the place of their products, the different variations. I rolled all those variations into one and then optimized them, had really awesome photos taken and created with a graphic designer on Fiverr. And now that product is literally selling like thousands per month. And has, I think the last time I looked, they've got like 1,700 reviews on their listing now. That's a lot of reviews. So, yeah. Especially in this day and age, you can't incentivize reviews. It's yep. really hard to generate reviews. If there was one strategy that I'm not focused on right now, it's generating reviews. Last night, I received a product and it had one of those, hey, review us on Amazon, give us five stars, we'll send you a $20 gift card. That's against terms and conditions, guys. And, uh, and guess what? People like me, when we, we, when we receive those product inserts, we go right to customer service and complain and report you. And uh, yeah, we do that because you're trying to do some unfair practice that screws the rest of us who are following Amazon's guidelines. And it's not fair. Uh, Lockpicking Lawyer did a video a couple months ago on a guy that did the same thing. Uh, and they, you know, cool thing about Lockpicking Lawyer, for those that don't know who that guy is, the dude does like a video in 120 seconds and shows you how to lock pick literally any lock ever. And so uh, when he does his video and it's a short video, you know, the lock is terrible. Anyway, so he got one of those from Amazon, had the product insert. He goes viral a couple million hits later. Boom, the listing's suspended. They took all the reviews out. You will get caught guys. Don't do it. Don't do product insert reviews. It's bad. Incentivizing. Yeah, the only thing I do anymore and I recommend everybody else to do this is so Amazon has that little button 
in every order now that you can click it and it requests yes. reviews and feedback in the same email. So if you buy the Jungle Scout extension, you can go to the order page and load it to the maximum amount and then just hit the Jungle Scout button to request reviews and it will automatically go through every one for you and request those reviews and seller feedback. And I think that's really important because one, now that's a service, right, that I'm giving to the brands that I sell. I'll request reviews for you from the people that we sell product to. And then also it's improving my seller feedback, which is becoming more and more of a factor, I think, in who Amazon gives the buy box more and more in the future. Well, there's no question about it. The more sales you have on your account, the more buy box rotation you're going to get. The better your customer metrics are, the more factored in as well. Uh, it's no longer just fastest and cheapest. They do look at these other factors as well because they know if they have you as a seller who follows the rules and has good results that you're going to have happier customers. Why does that matter? Because Amazon is in the business of happy customers. They are not in the business of happy sellers. So you got to be uh, on top of doing whatever it takes to make those customers happy. And of course, happy customers lead to good reviews. And that's a win-win for everybody. Yep, absolutely. Now, I think that is a part of the buy box rotation issue that's going on right now. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that. That's more of the wholesale world thing than private label because private label, you've got the buy box. Are you familiar with that at all? So I am. I, I ha So not only do I have my own agency, I also private label and I also buy from a couple of wholesalers myself. And then I'm not adding any new ones. I've just been doing it for so long for years. Um, you know, if, if you went way back on my Amazon journey, start with retail arbitrage, which is what most people do. Then enter into the wholesaler market like like your strategy. And then from there, if you get really sophisticated, um, I recommend going into private label to supplement it even further. And that requires more investment. And then you got to think about China integration. It's more complexity. Um, so I've done all of that. Uh, and uh, there are still some good wholesaler relationships that I've had for years. So it definitely pays out. Uh, it's never passive income, but it does have somewhat of a feeling of, hey, that work I did a couple of years is still paying out today. Yep. For sure. So what are your thoughts on what's going on with the buy box right now? I've been a benefactor of it, I think, because my sales have gone up on those key products and I've got good metrics on my account. So I'm, I'm a winner from it. Uh, how, what are, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts on the vendor rotation into the buy box. Anytime I look at it and I see somebody selling through 1P or sold by Amazon, I always avoided those products in the wholesale model. I never could solve that. Have, have you ever figured out how to solve that constraint at all? You mean competing directly with Amazon? Yeah, on, on, on a wholesale product. Mm -hmm. uh, so not, not like an Amazon basics type product, but like seeing them show up in the buy box rotation, that always terrified me. Yeah, so I recommend staying away from it as much as possible. Occasionally, Amazon will rotate that buy box, but then there's lots of times where they won't give you any rotation in the buy box. Like the, the, the product that I was just recently talking about where I'm the only one who can buy from the brand, they cut Amazon out. So Amazon disappeared briefly, but then they must've started buying from a distributor. So now they're back. Yes. And they but don't they care about their margin. Me, no, and, but they can't go as low as me. So even at their bottom dollar, I'm still making like 30, 40% ROI on it. So, and they're giving me rotation even at the same price. So on that product, thankfully, they're not locking it down. It's definitely not something that I recommend though. If, if Amazon is on there, 
if you really want to try it, make a really small test order, send it in and see what happens. But I think you're, you're playing with fire if you're going to compete against Amazon directly. Yeah, it's a little too scary for me. I would, I would agree with you. But my hope is that that will kind of go down maybe with some of this antitrust uh, and monopoly talk going on, but we'll see what happens there. So what other things do we need to go over? What other things do you think would be good for people listening if they're trying to build a wholesale business? If you can gain control of the brand registry for these brands you work for, you have a ginormous advantage. If you're the brands giving this up to said partner, make sure you pick the right partner to give them the brand registry control. Or take it yourself and go to brandservices.amazon.com and register your own brand and then make them a user of it. I cannot tell you how many brand registry problems we deal with at my Amazon guy. Of my list of things that I have to deal with, it is my least favorite. I do not like transferring brand registry. I do not like dealing with brand registry problems. Mm -hmm. But they're super, super common. So if you're, if you're in the wholesale business model and you're going to these uh, wholesalers to advocate or you've got the relationship, try and register their brands. And then you will basically win the rights to control the data. Uh, and it could be in the best interest of those brands to let you do it if you're a good partner. And if you are a good partner, you then control the data and then you make better listings and you make it so that somebody else who gains... Uh, ownership of the product through a distribution, maybe a mom and pop or a discount or whatever it might be, when they go to list their product and start mucking with the data, it won't be as hard to deal with because you're the brand agent, so to speak. So I think that's a good tip. Go gain control of brand registry. Another tip I give you is if you get control of brand registry, start running video ads. Uh, you can't do this without brand registry. So this will knock out majority of your partnerships most likely but I can't tell you or emphasize enough how awesome video ads are performing right now. We're seeing ACOS under 12% in random product categories. We couldn't get south of 35% previously. It's doing really, really well. Yep. I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah. The trouble is, like you said, you got to have brand registry for that. And I've done that both ways. So I brought it under my account. And more recently, I've done more where we sign an exclusive agreement and then they give me access to their account, especially if they already have it set up. That way, like you said, if, if something happens, that relationship uh, falls apart for whatever reason, you're not having to deal with trying to transfer the brand. Yeah, when, whenever I uh, take on a client at my Amazon guy, we always register the brand in the client's name. Uh, we always do what's in the best interest of the client. Uh, but if you're in the wholesale um, model, uh, you are in business for yourself first and you also try and help out the, the brands that you work with. And so that control can be very, very beneficial. Yeah, definitely don't dispute it. But, you know, you got to whatever the brand decides, uh, both ways work fine. Like I said, I've done it both ways. So, all right, cool. Well, this has been really nice, Stephen, going over the stuff. I think people listening are going to get a lot of really good information um, where again, those videos that you talked about, where can people find those at? So you can go to myamazonguy.com. You can subscribe to our podcast, uh, as well. Um, and on YouTube, it's, it's youtube.com slash myamazonguy. And we release content around every problem ever on Amazon that affects any seller in any condition, whether it's listing yanks, suspensions, parentage, creation, 
or any of the best practices. Uh, we have content out there to help you do better, to grow your sales. That's, that's kind of our mantra. We help people grow sales. Yeah, and learning is number one. I mean, everything we talked about, there's probably a lot, if you're new, that we talked about here that might have went over your head, but that is what business is all about, and especially on Amazon, is learning a lot of that technical detail and figuring that stuff out and offering brands uh, the things that we talked about, A-plus content, bullet points, photos, brand registry, all of that good stuff. So you gotta, you never stop learning. So definitely check out your guys' stuff at My Amazon Guy. Your podcast is great as well. I've got that in my feed, so I listen to those whenever they come up. And it's just good stuff, never stop learning. We also had Todd on our podcast the other week and appreciated you joining us as well, Todd. So thanks for coming on ours. For sure, it was fantastic. Appreciate it very much, Stephen. You have an awesome day. Thank you, sir. All right, so there you go. What did I tell you? A lot of really good information. We kind of touch on a lot of wide variety of different things there. So I think you probably got some good information out of this. Maybe some of it went over your head. So definitely check out some of those videos that Stephen has over at myamazonguide.com and check out the show notes, entrepreneuradventure.com forward slash 36. And you can get those links there as well. And of course, I have lots of great videos on the YouTube channel and on our website, entrepreneuradventure.com to help you learn these different little things that can help you grow your business. And also stay tuned, I'm gonna be doing a webinar on just this, exactly how I'm analyzing these listings using the Keeper Graph and Jungle Scout and looking at reviews and finding listings that I can take from maybe a handful of sales to 50, 100, 200, 500, or like I talked about in the episode, thousands of sales per month. I think it's a really great tactic that's working really well for me and will work really well for you as well. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're on the email list so you can get notified of these webinars that I'm gonna have coming out. Entrepreneuradventure.com, scroll to the bottom, you can sign up there and get those emails when I'm sending out and let you know about the educational opportunities that I'm gonna be putting out there for you. So with that, this is Todd Welch with The Entrepreneur Adventure signing off. Happy selling, everybody. This has been another episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. Thanks for listening, fellow entrepreneur. And always remember, success is yours if you take it.